for joining us on this Christmas Eve. I am Pastor Jason of Celebration Church, and it is my pleasure and my honor to be able to share with you a couple of words uh, from the Bible uh, in in hopes of trying to help us really get the most out of uh, this holiday and let uh, the spirit that came and dwelt in this uh, this baby, this Jesus, his spirit, that it lives on. And really, that was just the first of many chapters uh, in Who is Jesus the Christ, the one that we just sang about, who we, we celebrate as a baby, we celebrate his life and teaching, we celebrate his uh, death on the cross, as awkward really as that is, that we would celebrate death in that way, um, but it is because of what it, it means, and that even past that, that we celebrate his resurrection, and we celebrate that he is today, uh, Jesus the Christ in heaven, making intercession for all of those who believe in his name, and that he is also the Jesus, the Christ, who is coming back to get his chosen ones. So there is a lot uh, a lot to celebrate. And so as we do that, here's kind of a, a reality that struck me as I was reflecting on this evening and being together, uh, that there's, uh, there are a lot of tensions that lie just behind the tinsel at Christmas time. You kind of know what I mean? So like there's, there's kind of the shiny exterior. We don't actually use tinsel in my house. Uh, it scares me. I think that uh, it would be one of those things where am I like all or nothing. Tinsel is like that little silvery stuff you throw on the tree, right? It sparkles. It hangs down. Um, if you use too much, uh, I, well, no, here's what I see happening in my house. I'll say it this way. I feel like if we went tinsel, it would be like all in off the hook tinsel. It would be like every kid needs to have the the same. I have four kids. Each would need the same amount of tinsel. So it would have to be equal. And then they would have to all distribute it. So it would either have so much tinsel on one side of the tree because it became a contest to see who could get it on there that the tree would topple. Or it would just become so much tinsel everywhere that you couldn't see any green underneath. And so I like the green on my Christmas tree. I like seeing um, the, the, the sparkle of the lights and not starting fires. And so we just don't go there. Uh, but there is a, there's tinsel, this thing called tinsel. Some people love it, and they do that. Uh, but just behind that shiny exterior, there are some tensions that exist in Christmas time. Am I right? Here are some ones that I kind of thought of uh, as I was reflecting on this and was picturing some of the family gatherings that will be happening. There's like old sibling rivalry, old sibling rivalries, right? But you get together and you know, oh man, when I get home, my brother's going to say that thing. He's going to do that thing. And it's going to be a competition because it's always a competition with my brother. And so you've got sort of like those underlying tensions. Nobody really talks about it, but it's there. There's also mom's special casserole. Right? Like, mom's got her special casserole that she loves, and everybody else knows mom's special casserole is not very good. But nobody says a word. No one, no one dares. Everybody smiles and eats it. Right? And then mom says, why is there so much casserole left? Who wants some more? And everybody's like, no, not again. There's like these things going on under the surface. There's um, the question of who's going to hang out with the crazy uncle. Uh, if you are that crazy uncle, my apologies. Uh, we can hang out later and that's okay with me. Uh, then there are all sorts of things like, you know, if someone brings up hockey, then there's going to be tension. If somebody brings up politics... There's going to be tension. Maybe it's religion. Maybe it's the weather. Maybe it's too much work. Maybe it's not enough work. Whatever it is, there are these tensions that you know are kind of just running along underneath everything uh, during Christmas time, the kinds of gatherings that we are at. And then for others, it's much different. 
and maybe a degree serious, more serious than kind of as I'm making a lighthearted uh, joke about it. But for many others, it's, it's more like a deep, abiding sense of loneliness. And those types of, of very real tensions that kind of run underneath this tinsel laden exterior of Christmas. Well, um, what I hope to do with the little bit of time that we're going to spend together this evening looking into the Word and kind of pulling out some truth from it, uh, what I hope to do is that um, I want to bring up some tensions maybe that you're not thinking about. And so I want to give you two mainly, two tensions that maybe you're not thinking about, but just might help you get the most out of this Christmas. If we, can, if we can pull it out and look at it a little bit and then apply the truth of God's Word to it, it might just unlock this Christmas for you in a special way. So to do that, we're going to start by looking in the Gospel of John. And so if you've got a Bible or a Bible app or one that you see around you somewhere maybe, I would really be honored if you'd follow along with me uh, so that you can kind of see or revisit certain parts of it. I'll be reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And this is not the Christmas story that you often hear about. In other books, like particularly the book of Luke, the Gospel according to Luke, he's another author of the Bible. He wrote about these things. He was a historian. He was a, uh, a, a physician. He was very articulate. He did all kinds of research, talked to eyewitnesses, and compiled his story of Jesus. And his is the one that we typically read from. It talks about the angels and the shepherds, and it's like the real pretty story, and it's wonderful. So not to take away from that at all, but we're going to look in John chapter 1, where the story comes across a little bit different. In some ways, the author here is writing about those tensions that are under the surface a little bit in the Christmas story. He's kind of addressing some of the, some of the foundational ideas, a little bit of theology that's kind of underneath uh, this, this Christmas story. So we're going to look at that. We're going to read, it's actually a pretty big chunk, uh, but I think it'll help us kind of wrap our mind around this. So we're going to read it, and then I'm going to work through a couple of these underlying tensions uh, with you. So let's start reading in verse 1 of John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and now let me, let me fast forward you to the end and let you in on something, since we don't have a, a, a lot of time to unpack the, the depth, because this is really a pretty deep passage. We've been working through this passage on Sunday mornings at my church, so if you want to, like a treatment deeper, you can talk to me or you can head to our website where we've got some sermons on this stuff. But let me give you a quick synopsis. When it says the Word, it's talking about Jesus, but it's talking about Him in very specific, like, incredible terms. That he is Jesus, equal with God. He is Jesus, the one, the pre-existent one. So the, John is, is kind of writing in a style that's supposed to keep us in suspense a little bit. But i got to let, uh, just a little spoiler for you, that he's talking about Jesus. So let's read it again. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus, or the Word, was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. Notice that that is a present tense verb. It's been talking about a lot of kind of, uh, it, it could have said, the light shone, the light shone, the light Whatever, but you know, it says it shines on. It's meant to be this like perpetual present tense thing. It did shine, it is shining, and it's going to shine into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. That word believe is important. We're going to pick that up later. Verse 8 says, He, being John, was not the light, but he came uh, to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. That's Christmas, y'all. That's Christmas, coming into the world, this light who is Jesus. Verse 10, Jesus was in the world because the light did come. It's what we're celebrating. He was in the world, and yet the world that was made through him did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to be called the children of God who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Basically, he says, not by human effort in any way can one be made into the family of God. It's the work of God only that does that. And then verse 14 is kind of like the big big crescendo of this section. And it says, it was part of the lyrics that we sing about. It says, "...in the Word, who is Jesus..." became flesh. And the Word who is Jesus, who is God, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and of truth. Now skip to verse 16. Grace and truth come up again. From His fullness, so from Jesus' fullness... We have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth, there it is again, came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the only God who is in the Father's side, literally it means, but the one who is is God, who is in the bosom of God. So it's picturing this birthing of Jesus, one with the Father, and yet now somehow come in the flesh to earth. He has made God known. It's a pretty incredible statement. So we're going to look at this, because I think that this helps give us some clues to some tensions that run underneath Christmas that we maybe uh, could, could easily miss. You see, I feel like I have this tendency, or, and I believe that we all kind of do, have this tendency in us to get enthralled by all the external stuff of Christmas. The tinsel, the strands of, of temporary kind of external lights, um, the carefully crafted decorations, the family portraits that we get in the, meal, in the mail. You see, we forget that Christmas actually exists as much as all of the wonderful lights are, are cool. Christmas exists because there was a great darkness, a great darkness into which the everlasting light shone. I think that one reason that we allow ourselves to get so focused on the temporary lights is that on some level, I think that we are afraid of that darkness. Like we have this sense of, of, of the darkness. And so I think on some level, we're kind of, we're kind of afraid of that. So we want to leave that tension alone, like that there is actually light and darkness in the Christmas story, in the Christmas celebration, there's some tension there. But let me tell you, we don't need to be afraid 
of the darkness. And the Bible is very clear why not. In verse 5, if you remember, if you look again, it says the light shines. This is the light being Jesus. This is like Him and His mission, His character. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So we don't need to be afraid of the darkness, afraid of this light and darkness tension, because that's the first tension I wanted to say. I don't know if I said that explicitly. The first tension is light and darkness. There's some tension there running underneath all the celebration of Christmas. But let me tell you, the true meaning of Christmas, that God came in the flesh in order to shine the everlasting life into the darkness and overcome it, that meaning of Christmas, that should give us some confidence to actually embrace the tension between light and darkness. We can actually face the darkness in ourselves. We can face the darkness that we feel in ourselves with the light of Jesus. We can face the darkness in our world with the light that shines on into the darkness and cannot be overcome in Jesus. You see, I can guarantee something. It is unfortunate, but it is the reality of life that in this room, I can guarantee that we have anxiety, that we have depression, that we have eating disorders, that we have addictions, that we have broken relationships, that we have fear, we have guilt, we have financial problems, and, and many more things. And so one of the things that I want to say, I want to point out, is that to truly celebrate Christmas is not to ignore these things. It's not to pretend that they are not there. To truly celebrate Christmas is not to just put on the happy Christmas card face. The way to really celebrate Christmas is to embrace Jesus. To embrace the light that shines on into the darkness. Claiming, like we can claim, maybe you know this old hymn, uh, we can claim uh, for us this, the, the words of the old hymn that says, Hope for today is mine all the way, and all that I need for tomorrow, because my Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is follow. And so as we begin to embrace, I think, the truth of this tension of light and darkness, I think Jesus shines through that and gives us courage to be able to face the darkness, both in us and in the world around us. And as He does that, He also shines light on other tensions. And so let me, let me point out the second tension that I think that if we can really own it and really apply some truth of the Scripture, uh, the Bible to it, I think that it will really help us uh, get the most out of this Christmas. So the first tension was between light and darkness. Here's the second tension. Second tension is between belief and conviction. Belief and conviction. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have a whole lot of time to go super in-depth, but my hope is to explain these a little bit and hopefully point you in the right direction. So if you look back in, uh, in our passage again in verse 7 and verse 12... It talks about the John the Baptist or the John the Baptizer and says that that guy came as a witness to bear witness about the light, about Jesus, so that all might believe, believe through Jesus. So there's that word believe I told you that we'd go back to. And then in verse 12 it comes up again and says, But to all who received Jesus, all who received Jesus, 
who believed in His name, He gave the right or the power. He empowered them to become children of God. So there's the word belief. And this idea of receiving Jesus and believing in Him, it comes up again. And so as I kind of think about that, I, I see in me and I see among us collectively a tension between belief and conviction. Um, and and let, me, let, me, let me give you a couple examples to understand what I mean about both conviction and the tension between them. Here's, a, here's an example. Um, it, is, it is easy to believe that human trafficking exists and that it's bad. That's easy. It's not very hard to believe that. But it's another thing entirely for that to spawn a conviction to do something about it, to help raise awareness, or to change some of your buying habits, or to, to, to learn how to engage to, to, to make a change, right? Like, that's different. That takes some significant conviction. Similarly, another social justice issue that uh, we hear a lot about is sort of labor and compensation. And so it's one thing to believe that people uh, ought not to be enslaved to produce products. It might, it's one thing to believe that, yeah, it's, it's good to buy fair trade or whatever, but it's different to have such a conviction that we actually consume differently. That we change our budgets or whatever it might be in order to honor that belief, right? That's different. So there is a tension between belief and conviction. There's, um, uh, there are versions of this that are pretty significant in the church. Uh, so we would say things like that, that because God has done such a miracle in us who believe in Jesus, God has done such a work transforming and giving us a new heart that part of our responsibility and privilege, really, is to, uh, is to share that news. We call it the good news. It's, a, it's the same meaning as gospel, which is also the same meaning as the Greek word evangelize. And so we recognize that, that, that there's a call placed on those who believe in Jesus that we're supposed to share the story. We're supposed to teach others and train up others to, to, to follow Jesus. So we believe that that is true in us, and we believe that we ought to do that. But sadly, there's often a disconnect between that belief and a conviction to actually share, or to actually engage somebody to teach them and develop them in their following of Jesus. We call that discipleship. And so there is, uh, there is even in the church, there's sort of a gap sometimes between belief in that belief being connected with a, a real sense of conviction. Basically, what I'm talking about, this difference is anything that you know you ought to do, but you just never quite seem to get around to doing it. That's the tension. That's the tension between belief and a true conviction. And so in order to try to really wrap our mind around this uh, uh, completely, I, I tried to break down the different parts. And so I thought, okay, well, what is unique about belief without conviction? What is that? And so I think that belief without conviction at all is merely a head knowledge. It's not a heart knowledge. In church circles, we might call it an informational discipleship. We can, we can be an informational sponge. We can know a lot of stuff. 
but it doesn't actually change a whole lot about the way that we live. Typically, having, having a, a firm set of beliefs and yet no conviction to, or, or little conviction to do anything about what we believe, uh, that is what tends to spawn hypocrites. We say one thing, but we do another, right? And, and quite frankly, as for those of us that follow Jesus, uh, this produces a weak Christianity. That's what happens when we have belief, but no, no real conviction. And so then I kind of flipped and thought, okay, well, what does it look like to have conviction, uh, but no belief or wrong beliefs? And so I think that that picture is when there is an emphasis on the doing without the necessary thinking through the why. It's like, yeah, I'm I'm just going to do this. I'm going to do it because someone told me to, or I'm going to do it because it feels good. I'm going to do it because I'm hopeful that it will get me this or not get me this. But, but I don't really have much to substantiate it. I don't know why I do it. I don't know where it comes from. In the church, the churchy version of this, we might call behavioral discipleship. It's where, yeah, we follow Jesus, but it's more about what I do than about who I am or about what I believe or who Jesus is. We also might use words like legalism or moralism where the, the motivation to do a thing or not do a thing rests more with me trying to get what I want and less about whether it is actually the right thing to do, whether it comes from God, whether it honors God, whether it is good as he has made it. So there's, there's a problem when we even go down this road of conviction without belief. This is what conviction without belief looks like typically outside the church. Outside of the church or outside of belief systems, it looks like trying to do all the right things in order to be happy. Or trying desperately to do the right thing and yet always feeling like either you've never done quite enough or that you're not sure you've done the right, right things. Like, did I do the, did I do enough right things? Did I do the right, right things? Or maybe did I accidentally do the wrong, right things? And so it just is a cycle where you end up becoming like, you just don't know when you live. You're always chasing. You're always trying to fill your bucket with something and it doesn't ever, doesn't ever hold, it doesn't ever fill up. And it leads, it's a road that leads to burnout or moral failure. And so then I thought about that and I thought about this tension. I thought, well, what is the way? And the way is belief with conviction. That is the gospel way. That is the, that is, that's the way that is open to us because of Jesus. And that is the story that is represented by Christmas. And we see it here, particularly in verse 14 and then 16 to 18. So let's look at those again. Verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. The glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, God became flesh. Born as a baby to do what only God could do. He showed us His glory. He showed us His power to shine on evil, to shine and overcome the darkness. See, this baby came so that He could grow and He could be and do what only God could do in order to make a way for us to become the children of God and for us to become His chosen instruments to continue His work. The Bible uses words like that we are the salt and the light of the world. We are carrying on this, and we are able to do it because of both belief and conviction. See, when we believe properly in who Jesus is, from, from the Word 
all the way at the beginning to the Christmas story born in the manger and all the way through to the one who has died and risen and is coming again, when we believe that, we receive that, Jesus gives us a new heart. And that new heart, which is the belief part, that gives us also the motivation or the conviction. And it gives us, He gives us the power to actually do the right things. The Bible is very clear that it is by faith, it is by grace through faith that you are saved, not by works, so that you can't brag about it, but that He did that in order for us to do the good works that He prepared for us to do. And so, as I think about these two tensions in both of the cases, in light and darkness, and also in belief and conviction, there's this underlying tension uh, that we can be wise towards. And that we can apply these great truths of Christmas to and experience profound goodness to the glory of God. So here's my prayer for us. Uh, Friends, my sincere encouragement to you this Christmas is to meditate on this precious reality that God became flesh in the form of a baby in order to live and to die and to rise again as the life and the light of all humanity. So have courage to face the darkness. Look deep into the Bible and into yourself and ask God to awaken both belief and conviction. And may you find these unlocking a much deeper appreciation for and a celebration of Christmas. Would you join me in prayer over these things? Uh, God, we are so thankful uh, that you have sent Jesus, the Word made flesh, to come and to do all of these things, and that we don't have to ignore hard things. You were not scared of them. Uh, that we don't have to balk at the darkness because you shine on those things. And so shine on us. Uh, make us different this Christmas. Uh, renew in us um, a sense of wonder at Christmas. And, and God, I pray that, that you would birth anew in uh, in, in, in anyone who is not following Jesus, God, give them a new heart. That's what Jesus does. And would you breathe life into the tension of light and darkness and belief and conviction? Bring those things for us. Even now, I pray that you would open, uh, shine some light in our minds and in our hearts and unlock us to sing these songs like we maybe haven't done in a long time or maybe ever, uh, seeing the truth of who you are in them. Thank you for this opportunity. Amen.